you're listening to Astrology Hotline. I'm Kyle Pierce, and joining me today is my friend, Silverius Materi. He's a historical interpreter, uh, actor, and tarot genius, uh, among other things, I'd say. And yeah, how are you doing, Silverius? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to be on. I've listened to a lot and... And been, we've been getting to know each other, so I'm excited to, to be on. I was really glad yeah. when you asked. Well, yeah, we've been, um for our, our Discord group, Three of Wands, we've been hosting a deck and crawl together, mm-hmm. and it's been pretty awesome. So, you know, if listeners want to learn about the Deccans, can join us for that. It's most Tuesday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard yeah, Time. Yeah, yeah, we try to fit it into a Tuesday within the, the Deccan, so sometimes it's every week or sometimes it's like there's a break in between but pretty consistently it's been every tuesday yeah yeah three three tuesdays a month yeah. R- roughly yeah that's good <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah but so do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself what you do yeah yeah so um i think the way that i often put it is the the thing that unifies all those things that you said kind of at the beginning when you introduced mm-hmm. me was that i'm an interpreter so mm-hmm. I am uh, a trained actor. I went to school for it and got a degree in it even. Um, I'm a historical interpreter and educator by um, trade, I guess. Like that's what uh, what I would do in my day job. Mm-hmm. And I'm a tarot reader and tarot studier and tarot enthusiast and astro, I don't know, astro literate. I would say, but I think the thing that unifies, yeah, like that. <laughs> the thing that unifies all those things is that they all require like a form of uh, interpretation. Um, and like I, the other passions that I've had are uh, like American Sign Language was a thing that I was learning oh, along wow. yeah for a while and really loved it and could see myself going into that. So there's something about uh, translating information to people and and breaking it down into ways that's uh, digestible and relatable. That's kind of the thing that seems to unify everything I do. It's uh, it's like almost exactly how I felt about astrology when I mm. started getting really into it. It was like, oh yeah. my God, this like unifies everything that I'm interested in into like one neat package. Yeah. And it's uh, it's like the language of, of symbolism. It's totally. Yep. Yeah. yeah, totally. Symbols have always been a thing that I've been interested in too. Well, yeah, do we want to uh, dig into our, our question for today? Yeah, let's go for it. comes from Tristan, uh, and he asks, uh, what is the role of fixed stars in astrology, and how does one get started working with them? Which uh, I'll confess, I'm, especially the more I study fixed stars, I realize like how how big the whole realm of fixed stars is and how much I still have to learn, which is in part why I wanted to bring you on this episode. Cause I feel like every time I even mention fixed stars, you always have like so much to say about them. I've been studying them pretty in depth this last year and they've, they've, uh, they've taken over my, my life and my brain space a little bit. So (laughs) I have a lot to, to think about them and to say about them and, uh, there's a lot happening, like a lot of there's there's more information about fixed star astrology coming out now and more people yeah, doing things with stars and constellations and things like that. So it seems like the, the time where things are just starting to emerge. It's, yeah, yeah, totally. I, 
should we maybe start with a, a definition maybe of, yeah. of what fixed stars are? Yeah. Um, I guess the best way to put it is that like when, you know, ancient people looked up at the sky and they saw the planets, those were like the wandering stars, right? Because mm -hmm. from night to night, they would say, oh, in relationship to this actual star, what is a fixed star, it would move. Mm -hmm. So they would be considered the wanderers, wandering stars, whereas the fixed stars also move, but they don't move necessarily relative to each other, right? They stay uh, uh, relatively consistent distance from each other uh, from night to night. So whereas like they rotate around the sky or kind of uh, stars up north, you'll can see them kind of like rotating or rising and setting. They are like the backdrop on which the the planets kind of like move across. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're called the fixed stars almost. They're like they're nailed in the firmament kind of. Yeah. 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 I I, I always really loved the term wandering stars for mm -hmm. the planets. Yeah. Uh because I guess nowadays, you know, we have so much more knowledge of like what those what those dots in the sky that move all the time are. You know, we know yeah. that they are planets and we distinguish them from other bodies in the sky. And uh, I don't think that it was that they, I, I mean, historically, I, I don't think that they knew that they were planets uh, or knew that they were, I think they were just seen as stars. Like yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how far back, like I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not really knowledgeable about at what point people realized, oh, that's a totally different thing. That's probably needed telescopes. Yeah. yeah. That's a totally different thing. That's giving a lot off light, but they looked like you know, give it, they were like giving off light and they gave, they're colorful, right? Like, you know, how yeah. Mars can be red. There's stars that can be kind of blue or red or sometimes even like greenish. So mm -hmm. from with the naked eye, they kind of looked similar, but just behaved differently from each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I regret so much about living in a, an urban area is that, yeah. you know, I read about the fact that like certain fixed stars have colors uh i wouldn't know but i one time i you know i was on a i told you the story but i was on a cruise ship uh when i was a teenager and that was the only time i ever like looked up at the sky and actually saw color like saw just what is actually up there and yep. it's so easy to like get disconnected from that there are some that you can see i don't want to dive too far into naming stars right away oh but... yeah there's a couple like I've once you become aware of it, you can you sometimes can see very slight differences. Like one I see all the time is a star in um Ursa Major called Merak. Uh, mm -hmm. and it's got this kind of reddish orange quality to it where I've I've wondered, you know, I've been out at night and thought, is that Mars? Especially because lately this year I've been mm -hmm. really focusing on Mars, um, just wondering like where he is in the sky. Um, so I keep I've thought, oh, is that Mars? And pull up my kind of um star map app and it's not it's a, a star and it is definitely a different color compared to the other stars that are around it so sometimes yeah. you can spot it yeah i feel like i was just looking at marac even was is that it's one of the bohemian ones right we'll get into um, that later i but... don't think so al Qaeda is which is in the in, yeah in the same constellation but i don't know that marac is Maybe sometimes a macrab macrab Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Oh, of. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Sometimes I can get a little fuzzy on like what is in the list of the 50 yeah. stars versus what's not. Because sometimes people add stuff. And yeah, yeah. It's the thing is there are was it like 10,000 visible stars in the sky? Something like uh, that. 
Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I would believe it. Like I, um, I am pretty particular. Lots of people will only focus on fixed stars if they're a certain brightness or like above a certain brightness. But yeah. what I've been researching, I will go to stars that you can't see with the naked eye. And there is like hundreds, like the, the kind of notes yeah. I've been writing this year. There's hundreds, dozens in each decan sometimes. So if that's just the ones that have names, think about all the ones that don't have names. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's something I, I think you get into when you start studying the fixed stars. Uh, yeah. It's like, which ones matter? Which ones do you do you use? Yeah. And it seems like there's a good like 150 or so that uh, get a pretty decent amount of coverage in like historical literature. Yeah. And then you I get would... like fifth, like Brady, uh, Bernadette Brady, who's like probably one of the, the big experts on fixed stars, I would say. Yes. It goes with about 50, I think. Is it 50 or 60? Something like that. Yeah. And those are definitely based on how bright they are. Mm-hmm. I am a, a bit of a proponent of uh, the dimmer stars only because mm-hmm. I think that they all have a uh, at least somewhat of a story to tell. Uh, I, I know lots of people say, you know, they, they're just not as strong potentially, or they're not as loud in a natal chart as some of yeah. the brighter stars, which I do think is true. Uh, but I have a soft spot for, for all of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I, I'm like, give me the ones to do stuff. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> but I feel like as the more I've gotten into it and the more I've t- talked to you about them as well, I'm like, oh, wow, there's actually something to these stars that I probably would have ignored before. Yeah. Which I guess we can get into a little more on like the potency of stars a little later. But maybe to like differentiate a little bit on what makes fixed stars different than, say, uh, planets. Uh, We already talked about a little bit in Greek cosmology. The fixed stars were a very different layer of the sort of celestial sphere system. Yeah, like the planets were often in kind of spheres of their own, right? So there Mm -hmm. would be like... Venus would have her own sphere and it would go out to to Saturn. They each have their kind of own ring that they were revolving around. But the fixed stars were on uh, one of the most, the outermost rings. So they were almost like pinholes that the light was beaming through kind of behind that, Mm -hmm. like the the blanket. And they're often kind of referenced in being uh, on the the cloak of the goddess Night or Nix. Um, so like they were the farthest out thing in the the spheres. Yeah. The idea was that like, if you're uh, a soul, right. And you're going to come down to earth, you have yeah. to descend through the spheres and you sort of go through each one. But then when you die, uh, you sort of release layer by layer, each yep. of the qualities that, that were imbued upon you are the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, wasn't so much qualities of uh, fate, like the fate yeah. has been allotted to you. And I know one of the ideas was kind of like the more of it that you had, the more the more planetary star juice you have, yeah. like the kind of the harder it is to to leave. Like it's like you have to like do more to like untangle yourself and become a a, a spirit soul again. Totally. And I think that's because, you know, the planets uh, have their own mythologies um, in every culture right there yeah. there some of them are similar but each planet is is representative potentially a god or a spirit or a being or a figure in mythology and so mm-hmm. if you are working with those those beings they kind of like are characters almost or in your story 
or yeah. they are like you're I don't know you're related to them somehow but then if you also start to include stars that's a whole other set of characters and voices and traits that you then have to contend with and so if you were if your chart is just packed with mm-hmm. i mean all the planets right everyone has the has all the planets but if you have stars prominent in your chart you have tons of them that's just more voices to have to contend with uh, yeah uh, with your and mixed with your own voice it's more big stories you have to to live out too yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Which sometimes i wonder how much you really really want uh the big stars and the planets and all that in, involved in your life yeah <laughs> so it seems like there's the less um, of it you have the the more of a your own life you get to live yeah totally the easier your life will be because you kind of mm-hmm. maybe get to make your own you know make your own decisions or you don't have the 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 influence of yeah you know jupiter and saturn and mencar and <laughs> yeah. losin right all these other stars but i think another thing that differentiates the stars from the planets is that like if you think of our sun it's a you know obviously mm-hmm. it's a star and that's the thing that like feeds the planets right it's the thing that kind of gave birth in some ways or not necessarily give birth but like will oh, yeah. generate energy into the the planets in our solar system and so the stars are that as well and so there a lot of people talk about them as being more inhuman and less understandable yeah. whereas like the planets especially because we've grafted these archetypes on them of deities, which are different than humans, but still often very involved in human life. They can relate to us a bit better where the stars um, are more alien and more Mm -hmm. like they just, they don't, they don't necessarily speak the same language we do. So they can, if you have a lot of them in your chart, there's this whole other like solar engine giving off energy that's channeling into your chart and into who you are. And I didn't collect like a ton of examples, um, but you'll see with people who have like, oh, just a ton of fixed star energies, you know, they are these kind of larger than life characters. Yeah. Uh, and it's like their drama, <laughs> their life story is wrapped up in something that's just way bigger than any individual life. Yeah. Uh, often they will be, people who are very impactful and you know their names will echo on through history right but it does sort of take you out of the usual human experience most of us yeah. aren't aren't living lives like that yeah, and totally. uh it's another thing to be sort of co-opted by forces like that yeah plus alien kind of forces or just yeah. it, it's involved almost in like a bigger narrative i, I think of it uh, like a a way bigger narrative than say even maybe with planets which have kind of this cycle that it's a definable cycle that's pretty easy you know the moon's yeah. 30 29 days or so sun's a year yeah. uh saturn you know about 30 years um but precession which maybe we might want to talk a little bit about is what 20 it's each sign's about 2500 years uh about 20, yeah like that one is what I didn't think about before we started. Yeah. But I can't remember, but yeah, the stars will shift, but very, very, very minuscule, yeah. right? So they're they're in a different location visibly today than they were 2,000, 3,000 years ago. But it's it's very incremental year to year. Mm-hmm. You don't really notice the difference in where a star is compared to where it was last year. Yeah, but at some point we did figure that out, and there's yep. a lot of uh, mythology built around just the very slow. So there's a story around the 
sign of um, the constellation of Virgo and it's very slow movement moving down into like Southern declinations. Yeah. I wish I could recall the story now, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm not as familiar with that one with Virgo, but I like, I would imagine it's a similar story of a lot of, a lot of times uh, underworld gods Mm -hmm. in various world mythologies are related to figures in the stars. And the idea is that over time, because of the wobble of the earth, the stars looked like they were getting closer and closer and closer and closer and started to sink below the horizon or below the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so it looked like these, these deities, these godly figures were going into the underworld. And so slowly over time, different cultures started to say, oh, this is a deity who's becoming the lord of that realm. Or mm-hmm. they have a story related to that realm, right? Whether it's Persephone disappearing into uh, the underworld for a certain period of time and then coming back out. That's that's kind of how those things are linked. Yeah. When you can imagine being an ancient person who's looking up at the sky and like wondering what it's all about, right? And you maybe have learned through the knowledge that's passed down by generations that like, not in your lifetime, that's not going to happen. But mm-hmm. very slowly, like these constellations are going to shift and they're going to be in a different part of the sky and you project way bigger narratives onto it like yeah these almost big cosmic big picture struggles or theological issues and archetypes like it's it's way more grand i guess than just your your planet stuff yeah like it seems this seems silly to say but once you realize that scientifically it's just the that the earth wobbles like that it's not perfectly the orbit isn't perfect Mm -hmm. that seems really simple to be to make sense of something like that to go oh okay it's just that every year we're kind of spinning slightly different than we were the year before. But if you don't know that, and you're just seeing that the heavens over a period of time are very, very minutely, but very distinctly changing, you've got to come up with some sort of way to, to interpret that, right. To make sense of, okay, why is this figure that we associate with a deity suddenly much closer to the horizon than it was uh, when my grandparents were alive? And we're telling stories yeah. about that figure. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I think, one of the keys maybe to, to makes it kind of easy to differentiate from the planets. But I think especially if you practice tropical um, mm-hmm. astrology with like the tropical zodiac, as uh, we do on this podcast and yes. for the most part in uh, Western astrology, uh, you even need to separate the stars from the zodiac. Yes. Which... I think the more you get into the stars, it can become like Regulus was always an interesting one to me yes. because that one as a star, it's very Leo. Like it's very yeah. much seems like it belongs to the sign of Leo because it's yeah. very kingly, very just everything you can think of about kings. It's is Regulus, um, but it shifted into Virgo mm-hmm. in um, what, 2012, something like that. And that shift doesn't make Regulus not Regulus anymore. It mm-hmm. just takes Regulus to a new sign or it's acting in a different sign. And it, it's almost like it highlights that need to separate the stars even from the sign. Because the signs, while they were originally sort of defined in part by the Zodiac. Yeah. Uh, or sort of an abstraction of the Zodiac because uh, of the constellations, excuse me. Because even the constellations aren't divided into 12 neatly uh equal bits of the sky even that's an abstraction not not explaining this <laughs> well it's like it's the idea that you know originally the um, the zodiac 
and the cycle of light lined up, right? So that the mm-hmm. solstice, the spring solstice was always when the sun rose on a certain day at a certain yeah. kind of like um, time at the, over the horizon, uh, stars of Aries were there. And so that was one of the first places that it was kind of the, the zodiac and the constellations were, they were the same, but mm-hmm. gradually the constellations because of procession started to kind of move and people realized, Oh, that star that was in Aries Mm -hmm. is now a little bit farther away. So the Zodiac stayed the same because of it's more, it's about the, the, the gradual shift of light, but the constellations are actually in different spots visibly than they were 2000 years ago. So Mm -hmm. it can can get a little, (laughs) um, we're allowed to, we're allowed to swear, right? Oh yeah. 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 Again, a little bit, like a little mind fucky, right? When you're trying oh, to figure yeah. out, okay. Yeah. Leo or Regulus is in Leo, the constellation, but it's in Virgo in terms of the signs of the Zodiac. Yeah. And so that gets weird. Yeah. I, I guess the way I reconcile it in my mind is that like the signs, if you're using the tropical Zodiac are, they're rooted in the equinoctial points of the, yeah, it, it, the rotation of the earth. Like they yes. are of the earth now. Yeah. Uh, when they were incepted, uh, when our the type of astrology that we practice, when the system was formed, they lined up and like we, you know, sort of cast that uh, that system into our our zodiac. Yeah, it's moved on now, but like yeah. it was, it's still, it like gave us the clues to what they mean, but now it's detached from it. But we still, it still works. It's uh, almost like, I don't know if this is a perfect analogy, but the idea of like the, the constellations being on, uh, or at least the, the constellations that are on the ecliptic, mm-hmm. like on a band of paper and someone went, oh, I can, I can like sketch over that, right? I can put another piece of paper over that and draw it. Um, and then that sketch is like the, the zodiac kind of, and the band of paper kept moving, but then the stamp, the engraving, like a thing ah, that we drew yeah. stayed in the same place or like someone that. held it there and went, oh, okay. The actual image is farther down, but mm-hmm. this is still in the same place. The engraving that I made is still in the same place. I like that. Yeah. But uh, even if you wanted to stick with the sidereal zodiac, you're still not getting um, a zodiac that lines up perfectly with the constellations like Virgo yeah. is this big ass like what it's I think it occupies probably a good three signs worth of space yeah, or something yeah. like that it's yeah. huge uh but at some point we you know we neatly divided them into 12 yes and that like Scorpio used to be way bigger and used to encompass mm-hmm. all of Libra right whereas now Libra has been cut into a sign of its own the stars of Libra were for a long time the claws of Scorpio. So yeah. that it's very, there's a very uh, human made component to the actual, the Zodiac and like what we would, you know, say is our birth sign or something like that. Or, yeah. yeah birth <clears throat> sign. Well, so I guess with like all that in mind, uh, when you're looking at the fixed stars, I like to just take the, um, you know, the planet sign delineation that I give almost separately and then i think how does the story of this star sort of alter you know that um that position yes and it sometimes uh can alter it very drastically almost take it over 
yeah. where it doesn't necessarily look so much like the planet in the sun anymore. Like the star is kind of a bigger deal. Yes. Yeah. Like um, a really uh, kind of simple example is in um, Bernadette Brady's, um, one of Bernadette Brady's books, she gives the example of if you have Venus, you would think that Venus is a, is representative of, of union and, mm-hmm. and relationships and, and uh, trying to smooth things over and create harmony. But if you have it conjunct uh, the star Capulus, which is in Perseus's sword, mm-hmm. and is a very sort of like the way she delineates it is that Capulus is a very raw, primal, masculine, you know, traditional mask, the ideas of what masculinity is, star, yeah. that you may, the traditional associations of Venus may not be as prominent, they may not be as loud, they may be overshadowed by uh, that star's mm-hmm. voice, right? Because again, I think it, you could say that because stars are feeding planets yeah, uh, and they are just giving off so much energy of their own, um, it might be, it's really, it makes it really loud or it can make yeah. it really loud. Yeah, it's, I mean, you, like you were saying earlier, I mean, we have our own star, we have the sun yeah. uh, and our planets all derive their light from our star. Uh, so they're all rooted in our system, but these yeah. stars are from the outside and they give off their own light, Yep, you know, and that definitely has the power to, I'm like thinking of, uh, I feel like I always have so many Lovecraftian analogies, but, um, just like, oh, it's Venus, but like it got possessed by some elder God and yes, it's got like black veins coming out of it. And it's just like, oh, no, it's not Venus anymore. It is. I think that's a perfect analogy. And I know that there are other people who are doing, um, who are, are really leading the forefront of fixed star astrology, for example, like uh, Sasha Ravitch, who we can uh, kind of shout out later. She often, the analogy she uses, which I think is really good, is that the fixed stars are almost like, uh, like in Hellraiser, there's the Cenobites, Ooh, right? Yeah. And the Cenobites all worship uh, a god. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember Leviathan. I think that's its name. Leviathan. Right, yeah. She equates the stars with being Leviathan, and that the Leviathan's methods of working in the human world are so unknown to us as humans. Right. The mm. whole thing about Hellraiser is that, or one of the things with Hellraiser is that, like, pain and pleasure are the same thing, mm-hmm. and we as humans maybe just don't understand that, but. The star who has a different concept of what is pleasure and what is pain is fine with inflicting one or inflicting yeah. the other oh, or yeah. saying, I want pleasure and it's going to give <laughs> you pain thinking like, well, to me, this is what is pleasurable because it's any kind of experience. So I think that idea of an alien infusing itself into the planet works mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. I love the Hellraiser analogy. That's yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't um, take that one. That is totally Sasha's uh, yeah, analogy. Yeah. Uh, I should to reiterate it's not that um you know venus being on the star is going to make it just not venus anymore it's still venus it's acting through venus but you could think of it as like okay if venus got possessed by this otherworldly entity you know that entity is kind of operating through venus yeah and it's gonna alter what venus does uh, yeah substantially yeah um i don't know like one of the ways that i like to think about it when i've been thinking about fixed stars conjunct planets or just in different like houses and things like that is to figure out different different figures that are kind of like venus Mm -hmm. um without being too 
uh, or getting too deep into syncretization of between gods to say, oh, Venus is the same as, you know, Ishtar is the same as uh, Inanna, not mm-hmm. necessarily, but like to go, okay, well, what, what is this star and what's its star's voice? And what is a kind of like Venusian archetype from maybe a different mythology or from a different story that might blend that? That can give you a good starting point to say, okay, well, this is a Venus figure, but not every Venus figure is necessarily the Venus that we know from Hellenistic astrology or from Greek mythology. Uh, There's more warlike Venus figures. and so you could say, well, maybe this is a more warlike Venus figure, or if it's a star that's more, I'm trying to think of like a, a kind of creepier one, um, mm-hmm. but something that's going into the underworld, for example, you can draw on something like that instead and say, this is more of a figure of Venus that goes into the underworld. And what does that figure do in the mythology kind of thing? Remind me when we talk about some of our favorite stars uh, yes. to ask what uh what are the creepy stars i want to know sure (laughs) (laughs) um yeah okay so let's see do you want to talk at all about the like how they can stars could be found in the decans or do you want to move on do you want oh yeah yeah let's talk about the yeah Yeah. i think one thing go ahead go for it there's a a midwest nice off right now Um, (laughs) (laughs) um a lot of a lot of the idea uh, in in more ancient cultures was that like stars were used to to keep track of the decans, right? Or or potentially the hours of the night to say, okay, when this star mm-hmm. is at a certain position, we know that it's kind of this hour of nighttime, which means that daylight is this far away. Yeah. Um, and so lots of stars became kind of anchored to or were anchored, like decans were anchored to stars to mm-hmm. say, uh, okay, this star represents this hour of night or this decan, right? This 10, this roughly 10 day period of time. And when this star rises, we know that these things typically happen in um, like in the landscape, right? Like the flooding yeah. of the Nile is a, is a really, really well-known one. And it's connected to the star Sirius. When Sirius rose, that gave a lot of the Egyptians the, the, the kind of signal that the flooding of the Nile was going to happen soon, which meant that you need to kind of move your, your living conditions off the uh, farther away from the embankment so that the river could flood. Right. Yeah. Um, so they become associated with certain periods of time. Uh, they become associated with specific gods, right? So for, with the Sirius example, there's a, a really big association between Sirius and Isis mm-hmm. as a sort of, representative of of renewed fertility and life returning from the underworld and things like that um and of course those things shift over time because of precession so there's yeah i i know that like when any anytime someone talks about decans there's talk about how there's dozens of decan lists and they all have different deities different spirits different diamonds associated with them because of precession yeah. Like yeah yeah that's uh speaking of serious is one that's like pretty much stayed where it's at though right that that one isn't it like kind of like immune to procession to some degree because it, it um, was the rising star of, it marked basically uh cancer uh jesus i'm yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the egyptians would look to uh the rising of sirius um mm-hmm. as kind of marking the the flooding of the nile yeah. right like when sirius rose in the morning yep 
uh, which would be basically cancer season. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's about in this. I don't remember exactly what decan of cancer it's in, but it is still in one of uh, in one of cancer's decans. I think it's mid. It's middle cancer. Yeah, I think, I think I, right. there's like some reason that Sirius, because of where it is, like it, it's either not moving as fast or. Yeah, it could be distance. Um, it could also be, you know, some for some stars, like especially the stars that are are closer, kind of more closer to the. Um, uh, like meridian so near near the pole star those don't set right so they kind of just shift around so yeah. those ones stay very, more consistent than the ones that are closer to the actual horizon i think that might be the case with sirius yeah. but um double check sirius is it's 14 cancer yes yeah that's correct yeah um with the deccans i i think uh, austin in 30 uh, austin copic and 36 faces had a really nice explanation for that is yeah. kind of like uh these sort of houses kind of or these spaces that have like uh spirits sort of that they go through them yeah and like sort of leave their imprint but it's sort of like collecting new spirits or yeah. uh, it's they're sort of like these haunted spaces that yeah. are uh that sort of can change even like the stories get added to them over yes. time yeah I think you can still see some remnants of this. Like I'm, I don't want to speak too much of this because I'm not super well versed in Vedic astrology necessarily mm -hmm. or Arabic astrology, but with different lunar mansion systems, that is still one of the things that kind of marks where the lunar mansions are is that they're tied to either a specific star or a specific grouping of stars. Right. But in the, the Vedic lunar mansion system or the, the um, Arabic manzils as well, they're often connected to a star. And it, it's kind of when the moon conjoins or gets close to that star is when it's in that mansion. And so that yeah. gave you a clue. And that's that's still used today. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. So I guess, you know, you got a good sense of uh, maybe what, what exactly fixed stars are. Um, we should talk a little bit about how they're applied in astrology. Mm -hmm. You know what they're um, sounds good. They are uh, quite um, outside of maybe their their natal application in terms of uh, natal astrology. You know, we get uh, like astrological magic. Uh, yeah, quite prominently used, I would say. Um, particular the the Bohemian fixed stars. Yeah, and that sort of gets into. These sort of categories and layers of fixed stars. Um, yeah, there's you, some fixed stars that are like more famous than <laughs> than other yeah. stars. Yeah, you get your your four royal fixed stars, which are Regulus, mm -hmm. uh, Fulmahalt, yep, uh, Antares, yep, and Aldebaran. That's right. And then you get your Bohemian fixed stars, which are fifteen. Uh, and I'm not going to list them all off because yeah, <laughs> I don't know them all off the top yeah. of my head necessarily either. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess you could probably rank those pretty high in importance as well. Maybe uh, if you see a planet, you know, on a on a royal star, one of those those four royal stars. Yeah, the, those are going to be really, really, really powerful. How did um, Austin Kopic put it in an interesting way that the royal the, the royal fixed stars are like a amoral bestowal of power? Uh, yeah. And they tend to be morally. They're always morally fraught, according to Austin. Which yeah, they they come with gifts, but they're also traditionally said to come with sort of like expectations or not necessarily 
like not curses, but they have um, they have downfalls that come with them. So they can be yeah. really, really wonderful things. But if you kind of break their rules, they you can come tumbling down pretty quick. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's like if you're given the power of a god, you know, what, what, yeah. does, a, what does a human do with that? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely seems potential for more moral moral fraughtness i don't think that's a word but it's um uh they usually come with big stories um yeah and then the bohemian fixed stars i know are kind of selected more for their astrological magical purposes yes yeah they were really um particularly popular in in medieval europe uh specifically for their um magical properties or their magical capabilities um i have a i don't know exactly why they were those ones were chosen but my hunch would be that it's because of their brightness and their prominence within the sky yeah um someone else i'm I'm sure someone else knows so please yeah if you do know correct me but um they like each of them is connected with uh a, a, an herb or a plant as well as like a gemstone they all have a talismanic image that's associated with them as well as like a talismanic seal so they're they're kind of mm. primes to be able to imprint onto a talisman so that you can have kind of the power of that star with you if you've if you've done it properly yeah which uh you get into talk to any longtime practitioner of astrological magic they, they will warn you to to be careful yeah <laughs> yes because they they do have a lot of power yeah, you're trying to plug into like a uh, an electrical outlet, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like uh, yeah, trying to hook up your, I don't know, climbing up onto a, a transformer and just trying to plug your totally plug your house into it. Yeah, <laughs> you might want to have the right equipment. You might want to make sure you know what you're doing first. Yeah, you need to know that like uh, you have the the proper channel of energy that's not going to blow your house up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's uh, devotional astrology. <laughs> Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I would say that that's um, it's it's been an aspect of fixed star astrology, and I would say astrology in general for a very long time. But uh, I think that's one of the ways that fixed star astrology is really finding its niche is um, more devotional astrology, where it's not necessarily that you're worried about casting a natal chart. You're not even necessarily worried about uh, trying to imbue a talisman with the essence of a star, but it's that yeah. you are you are treating that star as you know a figure. Some people mm -hmm. would say a person. When some people would say uh, a deity, and when I say person, I mean like person in any sense of the word that like it has a consciousness, and so therefore it is you know considered a person, not necessarily a human, mm -hmm. but a a, a a being with an individual will. Yeah, um, and kind of developing a relationship with that person and it may make your life easier the same way that you would have a good friend that if a friend has a certain I don't know position or has certain knowledge or has certain skills if you develop that relationship with that person they might be able to help you out of a sticky situation or be there to listen to you when you need them or offer advice when you're asking for advice right so it's yeah. you don't necessarily need to uh, have a ton of, I would say, astrological training to mm -hmm. have a devotional relationship with the stars. Um, you probably need to get an idea of the the kind of uh, phases of the moon and the um, the how the moon travels 
around the zodiac because that's kind of the thing that you use to, you can use to communicate best with stars mm-hmm. uh just the same way you would do for like astrological magic right yeah um but besides that if you if you have some basics you can start forming a relationship with a star that you feel connected to or interested in or that you kind of want to chat to yeah totally yeah. i think it's a, i mean that's probably always a good place to start yeah There's definitely a big difference between choosing a time to sort of meditate on uh, the qualities of a, of a planet or of a star yeah uh and insoling an object with yeah you know, the essence of that star yeah so yeah it's like talking uh with your partner about like baby names or something uh yes. as opposed to like actually having the baby they're two very different things totally know? or like going on a date yeah with someone and the first time you're on a date with them you're like we're uh, here's a priest you know here's a, a priest or someone who's, who's gonna marry us yeah we're getting married right now where this person's like i don't know you and i don't know that i want to be in this relationship <laughs> with you oh yeah uh but it's more like you're dating the devotional relationships like yeah. you're dating the star and you're getting to know them and they're getting to know you kind of yeah right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of swiping through your your Tinder yeah, app or your, yeah. you know, <laughs> looking at profiles a little totally. bit. Totally. Getting to know what yeah. you're yeah, oh, I you want can... that app. I want that app so bad. Like, <laughs> oh, man. Stars. <laughs> I think we have a new business idea totally. we'll have to talk about after the show. Yeah. No, that's uh no, that's um I think that's a really good place to start to if you're looking at potentially working with the stars is yeah. You know, you can read about them, obviously, and we'll have some reading material uh, yeah. probably at the end, uh, recommended source material. But if you notice, let, like, a star is rising at a specific time or it's conjunct a planet, you know, that can be a good time to yeah. engage in, like, a, a meditative practice, sort of, uh, or some other sort of um, pr- pr- bleh, propitiatory <laughs> um, yeah. practice. I I, do, I like to do probably more with planets because I'm... Mm-hmm. Still very planet centric in my practice most of the time, but is yeah doing like a propitiatory hymn of some kind. Totally, with when a planet is rising or during its planetary hour. Yeah, but there are like gods and deities associated with a lot of these stars as well. Absolutely, and, and from all different cultures, right? Like yeah. it's there. There's it's it is really easy to find ones from Greek mythology, but it's not just. Greek mythology you can mm-hmm. you can find different deities and different spirits and things like that and so if you don't vibe with Greek mythology and you want to find something else like mm-hmm. there are there are older associations uh for example from China uh, yeah so if that's like a a, a a culture that you are are from uh, and you want to be in touch more with that there are deities that you can talk to that are connected to stars that uh come from China right yeah for, for example once it gets so interesting too, when <clears throat> you're studying some of the the lore behind each of the stars, is you yeah. get almost a uh, when you start to get like a cross cultural perspective, and you see the ways that different cultures, different times, different places in history, with seemingly no real connection to each other, yeah. will have very similar yes uh, ideas and stories attached to these stars. Yeah, um, and sometimes they are super different, but lots of times there there's a strange. Like a thread, thread yeah. of something mm-hmm. where you it just seems like cultures and maybe it's because of the color of the star the same way you know lots of cultures see mars as this kind of angry yeah, more yeah. like being because it's red um, oh yeah but there it is really fascinating to see the ways that certain stars or certain constellations have this uh archetypal quality throughout like eons and eons and eons of history mm-hmm. yeah 
I'd say too that um, doing devotional work with stars is relatively like big asterisk, relatively safe compared to like yeah. wanting to ensoul a talisman. Oh yeah, um, right. I would say we kind of joked about some of the creepier stars. You might still want to <laughs> be aware of, you know, trying to get into a relationship with Algol. That's a really popular <laughs> one, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But yeah. Like, you don't necessarily need to be in a relationship with this primordial yeah. creatrix creature who has a lot of <laughs> and things uh, thrown at them. Um, you can. Yeah. Especially if you think that it might it, it like you have those aspects or that mythology kind of showing up in your life, you can develop a relationship uh with that star. Uh and it could the thing is it can still be dangerous, right? You don't want to just jump right in and think that's yeah. gonna be fine, but it's less stakes than trying to take a piece of that star and force it into a yeah uh, <laughs> a piece of material, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's the difference between a, a bad date and a bad marriage, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I would say if you do have uh, maybe you have a close contact with a fixed star, um, getting to know it would probably be a good idea. Yeah, uh, you kind of are a living maybe talisman for that star to some degree. Yeah. yeah. So I would say the same would probably apply to most planets. Uh, planet placements is you want to get to know it so that you can totally. work with it and steer it towards you know the best possible outcome yeah with stars there's seems to be less hang up on a on um like if the moon for example usually you'll you'll do it you can communicate with a star when the moon is conjunct that star's uh ecliptic degree so like where it Mm. falls on the ecliptic which we can get into a bit more but yeah um like we were saying Sirius is at about 14 degrees cancer. So Mm -hmm. every month when the moon is at around 14 degrees cancer, if you want to, if you want to reach out to Sirius to form a relationship, yeah, you can do that. Um, And you don't have to worry as much about like, is Mars there? Is the moon um, squaring Mars or is the moon Mm -hmm. aspect to Mars? You, you might want to pay attention to it, but it just, there seems to be an agreed upon thought that, it's it's not as dire yeah if like mars is present when you're just trying to form a relationship with a star than if you're trying to make a talisman yeah yeah usually with a talisman it's like you can almost let nasty shit be happening elsewhere in the chart but like it's all focused on that planet yes and you either want to get the planet alone or that sorry that star alone with the the moon maybe um and maybe some other planets that are supporting but yeah very much with more of the devotional or even like meditative work with the star. Like, yeah, you don't have to worry about that stuff so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, how to know if a star is doing something, you know, in a, in a chart or when it's particularly active for maybe devotional work or sure or magical work. Uh, Probably the most widely accepted way of identifying if a star is active is seeing if that uh, you have a star closely conjunct an angle of the chart, such as yes. the EMC or the ascendant or the IC or the the descendant, or closely conjunct a planet. Some astrologers will use aspects with fixed stars as well, mm-hmm. usually cl- very close. 
Uh, yeah. Particularly with aspects, it's like one degree. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Much less, less than a degree. Yeah. Um, with conjunctions, you get, for the most part, I like to look at like a degree, maybe two. Um, Same. But you get kind of wider orbs for some stars than others, yeah. usually with like a, a bigger magnitude. Uh, I find that you get really the biggest story, I guess, around the star when you get it within a degree. I think so too. Yeah, you can, I've, I, even in my own chart, I'll, I've paid attention to stars that are up to two degrees, but usually the ones that I'm most interested in are the ones that are within a degree or less. And yeah. That seems to be common practice. Yeah. I think, you know, two or three for some of the stars is enough to like have uh, some of that star's story or like, quality it may not be like as front and center but start with the one degree or maybe yes yeah and some astrologers will only pay attention to stars on angles so yeah some some may do the moon some may do the sun uh, but some people would say you know yeah you can do uh, a star that's conjunct venus but Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't like a, a lot of people really limit stars to very very particular places in the chart yeah yeah, and personally, I will really mainly pay attention to a conjunction. Um, yes. But if do. you see a star conjunct a planet and on an angle, oh, yeah, you got something there. Like yeah, that's, totally. <laughs> it's going to be very visible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And actually, I'll have a good example later. But um, And then you have uh, parents. Yes. Yeah, that's a, um, yeah, it's a little trickier. It's uh, like... The full word I always try to I always stumble over is parentalanta. That's the full, yeah, parentalanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, people say it differently. Like I, I say parans. I've heard people say parans, parents. Uh, that's the kind of shorter version is like parans, parents, parans. Yeah. Um, but the idea behind that is parans. Parans <laughs> is that the star has a visible relationship with. Uh, planet and it's still uh, in relation to the angles so it's uh, if a star or a planet is on the horizon either ascending or descending or on the like meridian which is the like the mc mm-hmm. or the ic which is sometimes called like on the nadir yeah um, but it's not they're not necessarily actually like when we think about a conjunction right you can say oh the moon is conjunct sirius Mm-hmm. Um, based on where we're looking, but it doesn't actually have to be conjunct. They can be at totally different points of the chart, but if you can see them both kind of at the same time, they have a visible relationship, which means that they have a parents relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's if they're uh, rising at the same time or setting at the same time. Yes. Right? Yeah. It can be like you or can... at the, yeah, at the midheaven or, or nadir totally saying, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. those are the kind of four places that you want to pay attention to so like mm-hmm. just to throw out an example um like let's say mercury is rising so like just above the ascendant and while you're looking at mercury um you can see that um setting on the other side is i don't know i'll just pick a star alpha rats in mm-hmm. pegasus that would say you would say like those are in parans and Mercury is rising. Alpha rats is, is setting. So yeah. they have a specific relationship, but alpha rats could also be uh, on the MC. So Mercury is rising. Alpha rats is on the MC. They still have a parans relationship, but just in kind of like a different configuration. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, uh, I think it was actually after talking about it with you that I started to get into it a little more, um, and I started reading uh, Bernadette Brady's book of fixed stars. Yes, and she outlines the whole way to calculate parents and everything, yeah. um, which all include a link, but you can just do on uh, Astrodienst, right? Yes, that's where I do it typically. Yeah. Um, there's other software you can use, but that's like the best uh, free software that you can find. Yeah. To just cast a chart. Honestly, I found the Astro Dienste more helpful than yeah. than uh, Solar Fire. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I think she actually was involved in, with the website. She was. Yeah, like, I believe yeah. she helped um, mm-hmm. Create that software or that yeah. like, the program. I think it's worthwhile saying that we talked about this at one point. Is that mm-hmm. um, when you go to that, there's a specific link, and you can go to like pick a special chart selection and scroll down, and it'll say parans. Go for the first one because the mm. the second option gives you so many stars, yeah. um, and you can get there. But even for me, I was looking at it today just to be like, oh, I wonder what stars might be in parents different ways and stuff like that it's really overwhelming uh, yeah um so go for the first option because it'll give you you know potentially a dozen stars um mm-hmm. but less than like your son is in parents with 30 stars so, yeah. yeah well and even in terms of which you always have to do with astrology is like identifying like order of importance yeah um even Bernadette Brady and Parans is like her baby. Yeah. Like it's uh we'll say that like, yeah, conjunction with the midheaven or the ascendant or planet is probably going to be more significant yeah. than the Parans. Yeah. But dude, check out these Parans. They're yeah, they're pretty legit. I think they give you different stuff, right? Like, I don't know if it's yeah. uh uh like an example for my own chart is I don't have anything in Virgo, but I'm mm-hmm. a pretty I'm a pretty um, organized, meticulous person. And mm-hmm. like, I remember at one point I made this, um, this chart for tarot and the decans and things like that and, uh, showed it to a bunch of people. And they, a lot of people were like, Oh, you must be a Virgo or you must mm-hmm. have really, really heavy yeah. Virgo placements. And I was like, no, I don't have anything in Virgo. Um, but I found out that one of the like main stars in my parents is Spica, which mm-hmm. is the brightest star in Virgo. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I was like, Oh, oh yeah. that mm-hmm. makes sense. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. It, I would recommend checking it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just we'll I'll include a link in the show notes. Cool. Um, but I guess maybe one thing to note too with the Parans is that it's not necessarily. Oh, it's, she extends it to the entire day. So, like, yeah, even if it's not happening at that moment that you were born, if it will rise, you know at the same time as your midheaven. Uh, yes. It, it still has some influence yeah. on your life. And like there are certain stars, specifically like the heliacal rising and the heliacal setting star, those stars might not actually have risen on your birthday. Yeah. They yeah. might have risen days before. And sometimes it's mm-hmm. like 40 days before, but it was just the star that most recently rose before sunrise uh, and like, it's a star that's over a certain brightness, right? Cause if it's really yeah. dim and you can't see it, she doesn't pay as much attention to it, but, um, it was like, you know, for me, Spica is my heliacal rising star and it was, it rose two days before my actual birthday. Yeah. Um, but it was still the only one that yeah. rose 
in that time. So it has a sort of an influence. I'm trying to remember what mine was now. <laughs> to go back and check. Think, yeah, I don't think I have your chart anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that covers parans though, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, so, oh, do uh, maybe the only other thing is talking about the four, like if you cast your parans, they'll be like um, the four phases. Yeah. Yeah. Like rising culmination, stuff like that. Yeah, and the way um, Burnett Brady presented it, it was kind of like if it's tied to your, if it's uh, rising with your ascendant, it's prominent earlier in life and throughout your life. Yes. Right? Th yeah, usually it's like your rising stars are often what are prominent in the early part of your life. Lots of people mm -hmm. say usually up until your first Saturn return. Mm -hmm. The stars that are, it'll say stars in culmination. Those are stars yeah. that are more prominent from your first to your second Saturn return, stars that are setting are from your, you know, second to third Saturn return or until death. Yeah. And then stars that are in lower culmination, a lot of people call them like hearthstone stars, which are more mm -hmm. like the building blocks of your life. So they're they're like they're the ones that are sort of stretched across your full life and mm -hmm. will have a, a say but it won't necessarily like you won't you won't necessarily live to see the direct influence of those stars yeah 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 it was a interesting way of breaking things down because i was able yeah. to find like certain patterns there i was like oh yeah. wow i hadn't thought about that it's definitely something worth exploring i'm not like applying it quite yet to readings totally. but uh it's another layer that definitely adds like a lot of of rich detail yeah and you can look at like perfection right so if like if you're in a mars year you can look at like what what stars have a parans relationship with mars and maybe that star will have even if it's in your uh your like rising stars so mm -hmm. the part that is in you know the first 30-ish years of your life but you're you're 36 yeah that that the star that is in Parans with Mars might have something to say for your Mars perfection year just because of that relationship. But yeah. Do we want to talk a little bit about uh, some pet favorite stars? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've already dropped <laughs> their name a couple times, but Spica, I would say is my, my main one. That's the, the one that I'm uh, most, uh, I think I feel the most in yeah. my life and that I've, I have like a, a devotional relationship with her that I'm like developing a, a devotional relationship with. So um, it's a really uh, kind of unanimously in, in history and astrology, it's considered one of the most benefic stars in the sky. Ooh. Yeah. Um, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's very gentle. Like it seems uh, it's, it's the brightest star in Virgo. And a lot of people talk about how it is like the, the, it's the, the ear of wheat that Virgo is holding in their, their hand. So it's a lot of people use that as a metaphor for like the gift that the, the goddess holding the ear of wheat has to give to the world. And therefore like the gift that you also have to give to the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say that's my, my big one. I feel like I don't have like so much pet favorites. I'm a big fan. I like Fomalhaut. It's yeah. a, it's, it's a cool star. I, totally. I don't have any connections to Fomalhaut. But of the royal stars, it certainly seems like the the least bad <laughs> or the least difficult. Yeah. yeah, that seems to be pretty common. Is like it, it's a really artistic star, and yeah. it, it gives like so uh, mystical wizard 
kind of vibe. Yeah, very Gandalf in some ways, yeah. right? Um, I think the biggest danger, like when we talked about the idea of uh, of um, a downfall with that one, is that like you can start to buy into your own mysticism or like oh, your yeah. own sense of charisma or your own fantasy and that like it creates delusion or that you like get really trapped in this mystical fantasy world rather mm-hmm. than living in the real world is it's is one of its main dangers i would say yeah um yeah that one's at uh what four degrees pisces uh i don't know that one off the top of my head i haven't studied that one quite as much yet but Where, um, uh, where's speaker Spica is at about 24, 24 degrees of Libra. So actually, Spica, oh, Libra. Yeah, today was today. The moon was conjunct. Well, for me anyway, the moon was conjunct. Was conjunct Spica. So I did a devotional thing this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, see, I, I know it's not anybody's favorite star, but it's the one fixed star that is <laughs> seems to be tied to me yes. in some way. <laughs> uh, is uh, Al Gol. Yeah which I have a Mercury conjunct algal, which definitely scared the shit out of me uh, when I was studying astrology. Fair, yeah. <laughs> and I have had it show up, uh, see, last time when Mars was conjunct uh, my natal algal, mm-hmm. uh, I was, I was what, the summer? I was transporting a mattress on a truck and uh, the... Like bungee bungees, board. the bungees that I had secured, which I had like double, triple secured. One of them snapped and mm-hmm. my mattress flew off the back of the truck on the freeway, got trapped underneath somebody's car and we had to pull over to the side. We couldn't get the mattress out. I had to call uh, police to get like roadside assistance and stuff to get yeah. the mattress out. I got a ticket. Uh, it was just a big fiasco. Yeah. And I, that's like almost like the kind of mundane stuff that seems to happen yeah i feel like i'm misusing that word mundane but like the day-to-day i guess of yes. alcohols uh you see a lot of people report like difficulty with technology which cool. i guess i do have some bad luck with sometimes yeah but it's uh what associated with medusa yes yeah it's the the name comes from like algol uh comes from raz al ghul which is like the head of the demon or the head of the ghoul mm. from from arabic star lore but it's the it is medusa's demon yeah, the blinking, it's um like in the constellation of Perseus, Perseus is holding Medusa's head, her severed head, and it is um one of her eyes. And it kind of, uh, because it's an eclipsing binary star, it gets mm-hmm. brighter and darker and brighter and darker. And so it is seen as like her her eye that's blinking. Um, and that's where like, it is considered one of the most, if not the most malefic star in the sky, especially in pop mm-hmm. astrology. Um, and I think... Like it, it does have a bad reputation. It's I got think. a pretty bad reputation. Yes, it does. <laughs> I don't hear very many people saying that it's that it's super benefic. Um, I think if you're really interested in finding the um, the other side or like the non, it, you know, like Medusa is very wrapped in wrapped up in a very patriarchal myth. Oh yeah. And so if you're wanting to explore that um, or kind of deconstruct that lens, I would say we'll uh, I'll drop more information about this person at the end of the podcast. But Amaya Rourke. Mm. has done a lot of uh, study on Al Gol and has done a oh, lot wow. of work to really like go back to the roots of like who Medusa was before that story. And yes, that is part of her story, but she also sees Al Gol as this like very primal creator deity that mm-hmm. helps like 
form worlds and um, is really concerned with the kind of ecological health of a system. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm. in you know, forming worlds is not a like neat, tidy thing. It's still very destructive, and there's lots of forces clashing against each other. But it's not necessarily doom and gloom. You can also potentially use algal to get at a lot of the things that are maybe happening inside you that you need to like feel like you need to purge. And she, I know yeah. she sees it as like a very artistic star as well. People who like need a creative outlet to kind of, uh, you know, have a feeling of catharsis. She oh, yeah. to algal, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I know for myself, if I don't, um, if I'm not creating something, doing something, uh yeah. like i it does become this like thick stuck kind of yeah like heavy sort of energy yeah that i think it took me a while to figure out that like oh yeah i actually need to be like making making shit totally um, which I, i've actually seen uh i've seen algal show up in some serial killer charts mm-hmm. um but i see it in a lot of like artists and actors uh too yeah. that i johnny depp i think has mercury conjunct algal mm-hmm. Which I know he's had some controversy as of late. Uh, yes, I've not been super tuned into it, but I think not not the best husband, right? <laughs> it... I don't. I didn't pay too much attention to what the outcome of mm-hmm. the trial was. Yeah, I don't. I don't exactly remember. Yeah, but um, I know it's pretty tied into like the myth of uh, Lilith as well, which is another yeah uh, female figure that steps away from the patriarchy in a sense. Yeah. Like God's like, hey, you're gonna be Adam's wife now. And you know, that means you gotta you gotta let him do what he wants to you. Or yeah. <laughs> and she's like, no, fuck that. I don't want to yeah. do that. Yeah, so, there's like a, a quality of being able to point out a flaw in the system and say, no, no, yeah. no, that sucks. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's wanting to dismantle yeah. it potentially too. That is uh does seem to be one of the more consistent themes with Al Goal is kind of like a wanting to just say fuck it to certain yeah. systems maybe yeah. a lot of systems which i i would say has been <laughs> i don't want to be part of this anymore totally done several times um i know in magical astrology though that algol is used a lot for uh protection yes yeah the same way that like when like in the perseus myth um athena who's kind of one of you know perseus's patron goddesses takes the head of Medusa to put on her shield to mm-hmm. act as like a, a protective thing that can, she does have that quality as well is that if you, if you deal with her appropriately and do all the right things, like she can be used as this sort of, I don't even, I don't know, like guard dog, right? Yeah. But like she will deflect mm-hmm. things that are trying to come at you the same way that her gaze would try to like deflect uh, or like turn people to stone or there's like the relationship between her gaze and Perseus is like reflective shield kind of. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I thought about this for a while and I realized that I, I don't have, I never really had like an enemy. Um, mm. And actually the few times I think that <laughs> I had like someone giving me problems um, directly that like seemed to have it out for me, they did go away and people were generally on my side. So I, I don't know. Maybe they just see this like snake guard dog, yeah. snake, like behind you. They're like, "Oh, what the fuck! I don't want to do that." Yeah, <laughs> that does seem to be good for holding a mirror up to people. Like, here's Holy. your, here's your bullshit. But yeah. uh, yeah. I guess there is a certain amount of you know hiding in a cave that uh, 
will will offer you a certain amount of protection. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm totally good at, good at at avoiding certain situations. But um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I actually I wanted to ask you because uh, Sirius is one that's actually puzzled me quite a bit. Because mm-hmm. when I I see it in charts, it's hard for me to sort of identify exactly what it's doing, and you get sort of different ideas around it. And I'm kind of like, yeah. what does this one do exactly? It like I would say the um the kind of common conception of Sirius is that it's like this, it's this, it's a, it's a dog, right? It's in Canis Major. Um, and it is like, I know that Austin Coppock talks about it as like a dog that is hungry for the, the spoils of the gods. Mm. Um, um, so it's got mm. this kind of like this drive towards glory or potentially power or things like that like in i think bernadette Brady talks about how if you have that in a pretty prominent place in your chart it can lead you to like very esteemed high positions but it also might um burn you out in mm. the in the the process because a lot of in a lot of places that star when that star rose it was like the hottest driest time of the year so crops mm. are failing and like um, there was fear of things like famine. And so it's, it is associated with these like kind of hot, hot winds or hot breath and drying things out. So even though it does have this really prominent, bright place, uh, it's potentially that you'll kind of like burn yourself away in the, in the, the meantime. It's interesting. I, uh, I guess it's going to be a kind of a watch and see thing, but mm-hmm. uh, my kid has uh, the moon and Jupiter conjunct Sirius. Okay. Uh, Sirius. And it's it's funny because they'll, uh, for a while, uh, my partner's daughter and them had a um, this imaginary planet called Sirius. Not Sirius, but where they, yeah, where they were actually royalty from this other planet in their you know, the previous life yeah. or, or it's their current life. But then they were like, you know, we're going to get born into these, these human bodies now and do this. But I remember back on Sirius, you know, used to do this. So I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> I'm curious to see how that plays out. Uh, doesn't seem to be one of the scarier ones though. As far no, as no, I would say it's not. Uh, if, I don't think people cringe if that's in your, if in your chart or like yeah. somewhere in your, yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, Oh, man, I'm forgetting what I read about it, but there there is a lot of really good just stuff, um, like different perspectives coming out. I feel like for fixed uh, a lot of the fixed stars. Yeah, I think we've been uh, for a long time. There's been a certain like set of books or a certain set of ideologies, especially um, like I know they talk about on the astrology podcast all the time that a lot of you know the older writers uh, choose really um, <laughs> negative delineations for yeah. the planets because they're trying to tell you like you know it's not gonna this is the extremes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but it makes it look like it's always doom and gloom and disaster. And like, that's mm-hmm. very, very prominent with the stars, kind of the fixed stars in general is that there's a lot of like fall from grace and like destruction and blindness, but I think it comes from that same thing. And now people are starting to find a more rounded understanding of like, okay, yeah, maybe that's an aspect of the star, but what is, what is another aspect of the star? Yeah. 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 It, it's been helping me because like I'll, you know, get back into the fixed stars a little bit and I'll start mm-hmm. looking for examples. And I'm like, well, I don't see it with here, you know, like what? Yeah. And part of it is I don't 
think I've gotten as acquainted with the stars as I have with yeah. the planets. So yeah. it's just hard for me. Those things don't pop out the way that planets do. Totally. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, this is reminding me to like it's making me want to get back into it again. Totally. I have, a, I have a like kind of a good example of that if we want to go into one. Please, yeah. Kind of, one of the ones that I think is a good example of like that idea of in older texts, it's doom and gloom and bad stuff is the star Alcyone. Mm. Um, which is like the the main star in the Pleiades. Um, oh, and I, yeah. Generally, the it's a Gemini star, right? Uh, e- it's in Gemini, I think. Yes, yeah, I think it's in Gemini one, like right, right, right at the very beginning of mm-hmm. Gemini one. Um, is that because it's a nebula? Nebula are often associated with blindness because they because like historically they were used to uh, as vision tests. So if you could see the nebula really clearly, it meant you were like fit to do a certain type of like position in war. But if you mm-hmm. couldn't see it, you couldn't do it. So they're, they have this association with vision or lack of vision. And so in older texts, you see Alcyone and the Pleiades in general being associated with things like blindness. Um, whereas in more modern interpretations and a lot of work people are doing there, people are talking about a sort of trading of the kind of physical faculty of sight for more spiritual sight, Mm. for example. And that comes with its own difficulties and things like that, but it's not necessarily that like, if you have Alcyone in your chart, you're going to go blind. Yeah. You might be more, for example, like you could be more disposed to like precognitive abilities or things like spirit sight or like just, you might have a more of an awareness of the the invisible or like the subtle realms than the yeah. kind of average person, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't see like the... You get your really extreme examples every now and yeah. then, which I'm always fascinated in. I've always been interested in just the extremes of mm-hmm. things because they, they sort of highlight the the boundaries uh, or like like a pure expression of something. Is yeah. The extreme. Yeah. Uh, and it helps you define what it is but you can get kind of lost in that too, which totally. I think there's value to the extremes that like ancient astrology will, will go into. But yeah, that, I think it's like if you lived near a volcano, you'd want to know that it could erupt. But yeah, You're absolutely. not going to be terrified that it's erupting every day. Yeah. Necessarily, right? Well, and if you live next to one, it's good to know the signs of uh, yep. of when it's going to erupt. So totally. that you know how to get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any, any other favorites or stars you want to talk about real quick before uh, i have a good example i'm trying to think of like ones that i have soft spots for um stars and pegasus tend to be kind of like nice Mm -hmm. i have a couple of those in my chart and they're they i don't know they just have this nice nicer feeling about them there's like a very free spirit quality with stars of pegasus right because if you think of the mythology of like this horse that can kind of fly through the fly to the sky and oh, is associated yeah. with inspiration. There's come some kind of neat qualities to, to look at with that one. Where are those? Uh, mostly Pisces, Pisces, largely like around that, Pisces and kind of Aries. Spinning. Yeah. Right around. Yeah, exactly. Right around kind of that. Not that we axis. want to attach them to the signs too much, but no, not necessarily. Yeah. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, am doing more looking into stars in Gemini specifically. Um, there's a bunch of them in Gemini. There's a like, ton. Yeah. 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 Um, like Castor and Pollux are the two brightest stars there. Right. And that's directly from Greek mythology. 
Um, Those are like storytelling kind of types, right? Yes, specifically Caster, I would say, is like Mm -hmm. one of the ones that is is well known for their storytelling ability and kind of even things like prophecy um, Mm. in some ways. Hmm. Um, I'm really interested in their, weirdly, the the heel stars, like in their feet. Uh, There's just some interesting mythology around the idea of like a wounded heel. Um, Mm. Different people call like... um, Castor's heel is called calx uh, and that it's like this wounded heel and it it really relates interestingly to different figures from like Balkan folklore and different parts of Greece and just this really interesting thing about like oaths and how taking an oath is comes with this sort of expectation i'm still teasing it out but that's yeah. those are a couple of the stars that i've been really interested in and they've come up for me and i've just gone down rabbit holes with them where's the uh, where roughly is the one with the let me, the let me look it up because it's making me think of a, a chart i was looking at recently i was trying to figure out where the moon was uh because it's not a time chart i was like it's either at the end of gemini or the beginning of cancer okay and they had a thing uh a fighter well tell me if it's relevant i guess or not okay <laughs> sounds good well, is I mean, it toward the end of gemini or it's uh, yeah like i think it's in uh a first couple of cancer potentially but if it is hmm. like if they're a fighter that pollux is known as you know in mythology is the boxer out of the two twins like castor is more of the the poet in yeah. some ways and pollux is the the fighter that's so, interesting because yeah. i um fighter sean o'malley is kind of like a rising star in the ufc Okay. And he had this like really long undefeated streak um, that was broken by, it was his ankle or foot that got broken during a fight. And it had actually happened already once. Uh, He had broken the foot during a a previous fight. Okay. But he managed to continue the fight, like just sort of uh, by not putting weight on it and basically finished the fight on the ground. Uh, I think he submitted his opponent and he basically like did this whole victory speech at the end while laying on the ground like oh yeah my foot's super broken but like oh my god i win like i don't know it was like a entertaining moment but then he lost the fight um because of for the same reason like he was winning and then broke the foot and and so i've been like watching like i wonder how this is gonna go is this gonna keep happening to him yeah it's gonna be and i couldn't find it anywhere on the chart really but i wonder if the moon it's uh, it's in Gemini one, the star specifically that I'm. Thinking oh, okay. Of. Yeah, so at about five five ish degrees, it's called. This is one thing with stars too is that they're often really butchered um, versions of like Arabic. So mm. like you could say yeah. Tejet posterior, you could say Tehat posterior, but the, usually I call it Tejet posterior. Is this kind of like wounded, this wounded ankle star? Hmm. Yeah. Well, so much for that. Story. There's more. Than, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's more I'm than sure, one. Yeah. Uh, more than one star that's yeah. Uh, wounded angle. Yeah, that's seen. That's something that I want to. One reason I want to get into the stars more is because I imagine it has to like fill in so many gaps where I'm like I'm not able to find this thing. Yeah, you know, and it yeah. seems so specific to this person. Like it keeps yeah. happening. It's a recurring theme, uh, and it should show up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I do have a a quick example chart. Do we want to? Let's go for it. Yeah. This is a fun one here. I'll share my screen with you. Let's see. Uh, can you see this chart? Yes. Cool. So this is the birth chart of Pablo Escobar. 
is a well-known um, drug lord, uh, yeah. Colombian drug lord, uh, the, the Mendelian cartel. Yeah, Med- or um, Medellin. Medellin, it might be. I, I think I've heard of it that way. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, That's only from Dark Tourist. The show Dark oh, Tourist yeah. is like the only place that. I know him from. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, he was a, uh, you know, drug lord. You know terrorist basically um he he politically involved for sure um but definitely had this kind of mystique around him you know kind of loved by the people mm-hmm. uh very powerful very rich and you look at his chart and he was born with pisces rising mm-hmm. rising at four degrees uh right on the fixed star fulmahalt that's a a royal fixed star yep and then you look up in his 10th house it's the sun and midheaven uh right about nine degrees sagittarius uh on antares and antares is supposed to be it offers a almost specifically martial kind of power yeah uh very like tied to like generals and like yeah. uh very dominant energy it's sort of like the story, I think, is kind of like rising to the top, but having to like test fight yourself. your way, fight yeah. your way there to some degree. Yeah, totally. Uh, what I I find interesting with that specifically is that Antares is in it's the heart of Scorpio, so it's like the heart of the Scorpion. But mm. Antares means the rival of Mars, right, or the rival of Aries, oh. and I find that interesting because if you can associate Mars with um police and police force yeah, and like yeah. you know like um soldiers and things like that pablo escobar is 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 uh very well known for his <laughs> um rivaling <laughs> yeah. the police force right oh yeah so, yeah well like rival yeah I, he killed a lot of cops yes he did, <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> but uh, the ones that and he basically killed the ones that he couldn't bribe yes. uh, more or less yeah. Um, I know he went to prison and, but he basically had to build like his own prison even. Yeah. yeah uh, I think he built it like it was like a house. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, super, I mean, it, it's, this is one of those cases where you get a planet right on a fixed star on the mid heaven, uh, in a very powerful house. Like it's yes. just, it's very loud and it almost tells you like what this star does. It doesn't say you're going to be a drug Lord. It mm-hmm. says you're going to be a powerful person, probably a leader. Uh, who's going to have to not necessarily physically fight, um, but it, it is mean like having rivals. Yes. You know? yeah. you're, you're having to bump against other powerful figures yes. to get to the top. Yeah. Uh, and it may promise to some degree you getting there, but what fixed stars don't seem to promise is, is you keeping your position. With the Royal Stars too, there's this, like we talked about the idea that they have these expectations and there's almost this quality of like, you get the thing the fixed star promises so long as you don't do a certain thing. And yeah. with, with Antares, yeah. one of the things is, it's weird, but like you can't become too obsessive mm. Um for power potentially or for position you could say but like uh i don't know a ton about pablo escobar but wasn't he didn't he become extremely paranoid in, oh yeah in terms of right like so yeah 
just wanting to cling so desperately to the position that you have that you'll kind of do anything to keep it is actually one of the things that Antares is like, no, 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 that's not what I Mm -hmm. want you to do. And if you do that, I'm actually going to take this away from you. Yeah, but it's almost like they give you the impulse to do it to some degree, but like, like, oh, are you going (laughs) to, I don't know if they want to mess with you, like, how are you going to handle this? Yeah, yeah. I guess to me, who doesn't have Antares on anything, really? Um, My thought is like, well, you get to a certain level, like, why not just stay in the upper middle somewhere, like powerful drug lord. And, you know, there's other things in his chart that might indicate some greed and some uh, that might add emphasis to that. But uh, weirdly specific. Um, And then Fomaholt, actually, well, what's the big downfall of Fomaholt? That one's a little tricky. It's not as it's not as clear. Well, you said uh, getting wrapped up in your almost like drinking your own Kool Aid. Yeah, that kind of seems to be the agreed upon one. Is that like uh, Fomahop will bring you know a sort of mystic quality. Like in this sense, I think with Pablo charisma. Yeah, charisma. What we're seeing is like a cult personality, right? Someone who who people flock around and listen to and believe. Mm-hmm. And that if you get wrapped up in your own idea of that, like if you buy into the your own, yeah. if you drink your own Kool Aid, I think is great. Then yeah. you're kind of you're you're likely to to get screwed over. Yeah, I know it's it's it, good for magic too. It's like good totally. for magical practitioners. Yeah, um, I think I it's interesting. Think was, but... Oh, maybe. Well, I don't know. Maybe he good. good yeah, yeah. <laughs> I find it interesting too that it's on his ascendant, which mm-hmm. like. In different ways, you can kind of associate the ascendant with your physical body, right? Like mm-hmm. if, when transits happen through the ascendant, lots of times that can be things like, you know, pay attention to what's happening um, with your physical body. Uh, and I like that Fomahot being like a Pisces star is related and related to mysticism kind of has this quality of like drug use potentially, right? Yeah. Uh, and like using the body as the way to escape the confines of the physical body and like go somewhere else. Uh, yeah. 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 I don't know how much, um, I mean, sure. He did plenty of drugs. I, I don't know if the, if he had as much of a specific problem yeah. with this or not. Yeah. I don't know either, but I'm just thinking about too, like the, like there are people who still kind of love Pablo Escobar. Oh, like, yes. like he's just like, he's become this almost like mythical figure of, you vigilante know, justice almost. vigilante justice yeah. Yeah, yeah uh which like you combine those two i don't know there's it's interesting but just like the charisma like it was just people liked him like you have to have a certain amount of charm to basically corrupt an entire legal system <laughs> to, totally. like to warp it around your your agenda yeah interesting one and a good example i guess of really extreme examples yes uh, i think maybe i had a couple that i'm probably not gonna I dig into, but um, just about the royal fixed stars. You sure. also get um, Aldebaran in mm-hmm. Gemini, right? Which I think is about uh, it's very good at acquiring things, uh, just bringing in wealth, but also good for drive. Like um, yes, motivation. Yeah, it just makes like gives you like a like you see what you want and you just go for it and you keep totally. going for it relentlessly. Yeah, like it, it, you're like a a steam engine, right? Like you'll just mm-hmm. push and push and push and push and push until you get the thing that you, you desire. Yeah. Uh, and then Regulus, God, what's too many examples of Regulus? That's yeah. We, like... have, we know one in particular yeah. that's really well oh, known. Yeah. yeah. 
and I see Regulus showing up a lot in just d- dirty men uh, or just dirty men. <laughs> I don't know, like uh, totally. prominent uh, patriarchal figures who get themselves into trouble yeah. uh, at some point. It's almost too many of them. And I feel like I have, I have to watch my uh, bias against Leo to some degree, but definitely Regulus. I'm, I'm like always a little sus of Regulus. Yeah. But, but it's not an inherently evil star. It's just, it's powerful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like there's, in different, different um, cultures, it's got like less uh, intense significations, you mm-hmm. could say. Um, but it's, it's the heart of the lion. Right? Yeah. So that's like one of the, the animals that's known for being, or symbolically known for being like the most powerful or the, the ruler, the sovereign in some way. So yeah, has a, a lot of power behind it. Yeah. This is making me think that we will have to do a, um, we had our astrology 101 series where we did planets yeah. aspects signs and all that i think we got to do a fixed star episode sure or series i'm into I think, that i think that should happen <laughs> it will get me to learn uh too because it's a lot it's so much it's you know you get seven planets uh or you know 10 um yep though it's kind of easy to memorize you get hundreds of fixed stars I don't know how yes. you do it. I think, well, you've been very systematic. You've been very uh, spica about it. Yeah, totally. I mean, you there's there's certain things where I've been very systematic about it. But for example, like I, I, I don't necessarily know all of the ecliptic coordinates of them off the top of my head, right? I still need to refer to uh, oh, yeah. my own database because it's... There's a, there are so, so many of them, and I might know that like oh I know that most of the stars of uh, Canis Major are in Cancer, but like which one specifically mm-hmm. I often forget because yeah there's 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 a lot <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think a good way to start if you're looking to get into the the fixed stars um, is maybe start start with the Royals. Yes, those are real important, and yep. you don't want to miss that. I I think <laughs> and there's lots of literature on them already. Yeah. Yeah. And really good examples. Like you can, you can just find them. They're, they're not hard. Yeah. yeah. And then I'd probably go with like Bohemian though. I don't know if the Bohemian list of stars will, I feel like it, it excludes a few that I feel like should be on there. Yeah. I've seen be more prominent. I've seen lists that are more than 15 that are considered mm-hmm. lists of Bohemian stars that kind of um, throw in more that 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 seem like they they have more of a voice than some of the really really dim stars yeah uh, but i think the the Bahamian ones are a really good place to start because they give you stuff from ursa major they give you stuff from you know leo perseus like you get yeah. a, a nice smattering of constellations you get things in corvus which is not a super well-known mm-hmm. constellation so you get things from kind of all over the sky um and different you can really easily expand mythologies from there yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of like a smaller portion of stars to start yes. with too yeah I, I feel like if you want to tackle all several hundred it's going to be yeah uh, it's i i have to go piecemeal so totally. i i think it's a good starting point well the way i've been doing it is that like there these are really related to a deccan walk that i've been doing this year mm. And so I spend, you know, in the 10 days of the Deccan, I spend time uh, reading about and learning about and studying about the stars in just that Deccan, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't know a ton about ah, FOMO yet, 
is yeah. because we haven't gotten to Pisces. Haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. yeah, as much as I want to jump ahead and learn them all, it's really nice to be like, okay, these are my 10 days to look mm-hmm. into these stars. And then even then sometimes like Sagittarius 3 has probably 15, 20 stars in it. And so you can't spend a ton of time even in all, you know, looking deeply, deeply into all of those stars. Yeah. You're more disciplined than I am. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, do you have any like maybe learning resources that you would recommend for people looking to, yeah. to get into the fixed stars? The ones we've talked about a little bit already, but um, Bernadette Brady's uh, books are a really, really good place to start. So she has um, Brady's book of fixed stars, um, which, like you said, outlines like a how to calculate parens and things mm-hmm. like that. It goes through a big list of different constellations and stars. Yeah. And talks about like delineations. So that's really good. Um, she also has star and planet combinations, which looks more at like if you have Mercury in relationship to alpha rats, mm-hmm. how does, what does that mean? And like, if you have Venus in relation to alpha rats, what does that mean? So that's a good one. Um, one of my favorites is from an author called uh, Diana K. Rosenberg. Uh, she, it's it's this big two volume edition called Secrets of the Ancient Skies and it is invaluable. She goes through mm. like every star and goes through like mundane examples and chart examples. It's great. Oh, that's um, the one I want. That's it's great. It's going uh, on my list it's, now. It is, a, it is $100 just FYI. Oh man. So it's two, <laughs> but it's $100. One thing with that one to keep in mind is that like, if you go to her website, um, it'll route you to um, eBay and that is the correct place to buy it. Oh, really? Yeah. She is, unfortunately, she's passed away. And so her family sells it for her, but they sell it through eBay. So if you get there and you're like, what's this weird seller? You have, um, you're not in the wrong place. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, One that I still use but is a little outdated. Like you can, you have to be mindful of some of the like anthropology in the book is um, oh, yeah. Richard Hinckley Allen's book. Um, mm-hmm. I'm blanking on the name of it. Star Names, I think. Let me double check. Yeah, Star Names and Their Meetings by mm-hmm. Richard Hinckley Allen. Oh. Um, it's a really nice compilation, but there's times where like later writers have said, you know, he said he he thought this name meant this, but he oh, yeah. didn't get it right, right? So he's, he, he a lot of it's really good, but take that with a grain of salt. When did um, he, uh, when was that written? Uh, that was around, well, he was alive between like the 1830s and like early 1900s. So oh, okay. I don't know exactly when, but kind of around that that period. Um, Not the heyday of anthropology. Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of assumptions made <laughs> yeah. around that area. Um other uh, non like book resources, I would say check out um, uh, Judy Volker's website. She has a whole website dedicated to different um, star and constellations from various cultures across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also uh, a guy named Ian Ridpath and he's got a specific book. He also has them on um, a website just on ianridpath.com. It's called Star Tales. And he looks at like specifically Greek and Chinese associations, uh, but does a really good job of like making them very clear. I would say if you can't find Rosenberg's book or if Rosenberg's book is um, not in your price range right now, go to Ian Ridpath because he has a lot of the same things. And then 
I would say if you're looking for like people who are really at the forefront of fixed star astrology, my three top recommendations would be Amaya Rourke. I, I believe she's on um, Instagram as like at Empress Craft, if, if I remember remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. She's done a lot specifically with stars like Algol. Um, she does work specifically with fixed stars and artistic practice. So that's really cool. Um, the other person, uh, one of the main ones would be Sasha Ravitch. And she has a Patreon and a really awesome uh, Discord server hmm. uh, where there's like, a, I'm, I am part of it. And there's a lot of discussion about fixed stars and devotional work and spirit oh, nice. work. Yeah, she's really focused on a lot of the like, spiritual aspects of the fixed stars and how different stars kind of she believes gives you access to different like classes of spirits and how those can be allies and how those can sometimes hinder you as well and then the last person i would say is um not someone i know a ton about but oscar moises diaz is Mm -hmm. the yeah i I can't say too much about his work but i know other people really recommend him and i've heard him on like the the um, astrology show or the astrology podcast when it was still running oh and yeah. He had, yeah a lot of great things to say on that it's a very extensive list yeah it's <laughs> it if you're into I, fixed star astrology I'm, now's the time <laughs> i'm pretty sure spica is in some way related to your ascendant that's yeah <laughs> um yeah awesome yeah you'll we'll have to include a list on the show notes yeah totally send to me um, and yeah and we'll probably we'll wrap it up for tonight sounds good uh so what do you anything you got going on anything you want to tell the world about um now's your time yeah now's my time i uh i am uh i would say a professional tarot reader that's my kind of one of my main things yeah i would love to get more into um fixed our astrology as i go but i would say i'm still really learning you know down mm-hmm. the road i'd love to be able to offer readings about fixed our astrology but i'm gonna start kind of small um where can someone book a tarot reading um if you want you could follow me on instagram uh, mm-hmm. at uh silver matter i like b-y-e yeah um, or if you look up silvarius materi you'll find me it's it's yeah, very easy um <laughs> you could do not, it that not, way. not very many of you no not very, not very yeah. many of me at all um <laughs> that's probably the easiest way and this is uh i'll i'll, I'll tease this Mm-hmm. But I am, Kyle kind of knows, I've talked to you about this a little bit. I'm, I am developing a sort of technique that uses tarot and the decans as a, as a way to kind of connect with fixed stars or like use tarot as a way to kind of bring in the, the fixed stars as an interpretive tool. Yeah. So again, that's something I'm like still developing and working on. And I want to finish like a whole deck and walk before I like dive into it but if you're interested in that and you want to be one of the first few people to like get a reading and and talk about how it worked for you and how it differs from our regular tarot reading and what you liked and didn't like um hit me up i i will eventually need a lot of people to kind of like test this Mm -hmm. reading technique on and i would i would love to have as many as possible sounds badass yeah if you want to be on the cutting edge of divination (laughs) you go contact silverius well, um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having yeah. you on. Thanks so much great. for sharing your vast wisdom and hope to see you back on one of these yeah. days. Anytime. You let me know when. Yeah. And I guess, uh, yeah, I'll call it a call today. Sounds good. <laughs> and uh, 
thanks to everyone for listening and i'll see you next time yeah If you have a question you'd like to hear answered on Astrology Hotline, shoot us an email at astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com.